Father, we ask once again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect that you have moments in your life that those moments that you look back and say, I'll never forget that. For me, one of those moments was receiving a phone call while I was at seminary, a year after I'd graduated from college, with the news that my favorite professor, the most influential professor in my life in college, had collapsed on his living room floor and died at the age of 32. I will never forget standing by the casket of my aunt, who at the age of 50-ish had succumbed to uh, such a painful ordeal of cancer. I remember sitting with people who poured out their hearts in, in grief of, over uh, a dream of their life that they realized was never going to be fulfilled. Or a relationship in which they had invested everything was falling apart. The grief and the pain. And I remember in those moments, both in my own grief and in listening and experiencing the grief of others, I remember in that moment feeling this, this inner sense of you have to be a little bit cautious of how much you grieve because it can get away from you. And, and being with people, feeling my own grief and, and feeling like you know, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to let it all go. I wanted to cry out. I wanted to, you know, scream and yell. I wanted to sob. But something in the back of my mind was saying, are you really supposed to do that? And feeling uncomfortable with that. And then being with others who were certainly feeling the grief and expressing it in ways that honestly sometimes made me uncomfortable. And wondering, what do we do with that? There's something in us that, that believes the lie that says, we can fix everything. If we just have enough faith, if we just believe enough, if we just do enough, if we just know enough scripture and all these things, that we can actually not, we don't need to grieve like that. We can move past it. And then I read the Psalms. And probably about a third of the Psalms keep, t keep reminding us that lament and expressing grief is exactly what we're supposed to do. But they make us, I don't know about you, but sometimes you read the Psalms, and quite frankly, it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, we're, we're okay with honesty, but man, that's going way too far. But it doesn't seem to bother God at all. In fact, it bothers him so little that he says, let's make sure we put that in the canon of Scripture. 
And then I remember the words of Jesus, who strangely says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I understand, blessed are the pure in heart. I even understand, blessed are those who suffer persecution for my sake. I understand, blessed are the meek. But blessed are those who mourn. And I'm reminded that there is something in the way God created us. There's something about being a follower of Christ that is calling us to be willing to lament. And to do it honestly and openly. I was reading something the other day where they said that, you know, lament is really an ancient art form of crying out to God. And I've been pondering that and thinking about that, and I, I think that's true. But what I notice is that because we feel uncomfortable with it, our natural response to grief and pain, whether it's ours or others, is often to engage in some form of denial. Yeah, I'm, I can... I can be as good at denial as anybody else. In fact, sometimes, you know, you, you, we are so good at it, you would almost think it's a spiritual gift. And, and we, we deny our emotions, we deny our pain, we deny other people's pain. And what's in the back of our mind is this sense of, we just need to, to get through it. We just need to move past it. And unfortunately, Jesus says, not blessed are those who get past their pain and they will be comforted. He says, blessed are those who engage in it, who feel it, who are honest about it, for they will be comforted. I think there's something of that going on in this passage from 1 Thessalonians. Paul begins this 13th verse by saying, we do not grieve as people who have no hope. Sometimes I think we have interpreted that as we do not grieve. Because we have hope in Jesus, we do not grieve. But the reality is he doesn't say that. He says, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. We grieve. We should grieve. We're supposed to grieve. That it's important for us to grieve and lament, whatever the loss or the pain may be. But there is a way in which we engage that because we know that Jesus is resurrected and that the day is coming when Jesus will reappear and he will usher in his kingdom in all of its fullness and will experience eternal life and hope with him. And I think what he's telling us is, because you know that's true, you can lament fully. Because the alternative to that, if we don't believe in that hope, then all we have is right now. And if all we have is right now, then the last thing you're going to do is waste your emotional energy on grieving. 
We're not going to spend time in grief. If all we have is now, we're going to keep going to what is what brings us pleasure, what brings us joy, what brings us life, what brings us everything that we want. The last thing we're going to do is spend time in grief and in lament. But if we know what's coming, then we can lament fully. I think the Thessalonians or the people of Thessalonica are worried or are, are struggling with that. Thessalonica is one of the key cities of the ancient of ancient Greece, and, and it is was very influenced by Greek thinking. And, and a, a part of Greek thinking in many of the places is this idea of dualism. Where matter is evil, spirit is good. And when you have that mindset, all of life is about escaping the problems of being human and living in this material, broken world. And the idea of of getting through that is to get away from our creatureliness. And so Paul has to write to them, as he does the Corinthians and others, and to remind them that the world that God created is not evil, it's good. It has been broken by sin, and we are broken people, and so we experience difficult, painful things. But the problem is not the material world. It's good. God created it that way. It's how we respond to it and how we live in it. And the people of Thessalonica who are so enamored with the return of Christ that some of them have quit their jobs, sold all their possessions, and are sitting out just waiting for Jesus to come back because we want to escape all of this evil stuff here, including our human bodies and our emotions and everything about it, and including death. To them, Paul says, you've misunderstood. It makes me wonder if that isn't why Paul writes about who's going to rise first. And when you read that, I think read that and I think to myself, what difference does that make? What difference does it make if the dead in Christ rise first or the living rise first? Does it, is it really that important? It must be, or Paul wouldn't mention it in this brief letter. And it makes me wonder if what Paul is driving at here is you think that all of the things of the material world, all the stuff you're going through, all the pain and the agony, and including death, is, is a sign of something evil, of, of the curse from God that, that you have to go through all of this and, and you need to get away from it. And Paul writes them and says, now let me just explain something to you. The dead in Christ, they rise first. They're privileged. And they're going to experience something that the living are not going to experience when Jesus returns. The living are going to experience transformation. The dead in Christ are going to experience resurrection. Just like Jesus. The world in which God has created and we human beings whom God has created are good. And instead of an escape from pain, we engage in it so that we are able to find healing from our pain. Now I recognize that sometimes we can we can always twist and turn things that God commands us to do and the way God created the world. And we can get stuck in lament. 
There are some people who, who find lament to be their comfort zone. I, 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 like the, I like sort of the melancholic nature of lament. I like the fact that maybe it gets me a little more attention from people. If I, if I just give off this vibe of everything is so terrible and so bad. And, and some people get stuck in lament because they're not really seeking God. They're just bitter toward God and toward life and toward everyone else. And that's not the purpose of lament. Lament is not the destination. Lament is a part of the journey to the destination. It's like Craig Barnes writes about the Israelites between Egypt and the promised land. And he says, when, they go, when God takes them through the desert, his intent is not that they stay and live for the rest of their lives in the desert. The desert is leading them to the promised land. But the desert is important because in the desert they learn more about who God is and who they are. They go through some difficulties and trials and through that discover that God is always faithful, that they can trust him. But the point is not the desert, it's getting through the desert to the promised land. Here's the other thing about lament. Is that Lament is never just about our pain and our struggle. It's always about how we are dealing with what we're going through so that we are a part of God's healing for what other people are going through. One of the struggles that we have, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but one of the struggles that I, am, that I think the church maybe always has experienced, but I certainly see it even more clearly now, is that there's something in us that says that the gospel is really just about me and Jesus. But the reality is the gospel is me and Jesus and me and others. It's not a coincidence, and it's not just a passing thing that Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. It's both. I have a feeling that this might help us as we wrestle with some of the issues of justice that the church is wrestling with right now. If all we think about is Jesus and me, then we really don't have space in our lives to think about what other people are going through or what other people have been through. But one of the parts of lament is that we are willing and able to feel our own pain so that we can recognize and see the pain that other people are going through. And I wonder if it wouldn't change some of our conversations in the church if we were much more sensitive to the pain that other people have experienced and are experiencing. But it starts with us being willing to engage in our own. There's a certain sense in which lament is a part of love. Because when we are willing to lament and cry out to God and come to God with our pain and honesty and openness, then we are in essence saying, God, I, I, I'm ready and open to receive your love to me of healing. But it's also about our willingness to love other people. 
Because the moment we close off God to our pain, we close off being agents of God's love for other people in their pain. It's just impossible. I think that's why Paul ends this section by saying, therefore. Paul loves to do that. Other places, 1 Corinthians 15, for instance, where he has this long, long list, 57 verses, all about the resurrection. And you get to the 58th verse, and he says, therefore, think about how you live. And here we have the same thing. Paul gives us this talk about the resurrection and about grief. And then he says in verse 18, therefore, this is really my point, he says. This is what it's all about. This is what I'm coming down to. Encourage each other. Care for each other. Be there for each other. Walk this journey with each other. The word he uses there is parakaleo. It's a fairly common word in the New Testament. And it, it really means to encourage, to comfort, to walk alongside, to be with people. And that's what Paul is saying to them. In the grief and the pain of life, when you grieve as, if, as people who have hope, you walk with people in their struggles. You care about people in their struggles. They matter to us. I was reading an article a few weeks ago called, the, somehow the part of it was, The Sin of Empathy. And that very title grabbed my attention because I thought, what, the sin of empathy? And there were some things in the article that I agreed with and things I didn't. And the author was talking about how we ought to have compassion for people, but, but empathy is too much. Empathy is going too far. And his example was that if you see someone uh, in quicksand, then it doesn't really help them to jump into the quicksand with them. You need to stand by the edge and hold out a board to them and let them grab the board and you pull them out. And I suspect that there are times where that's exactly what we should do. But I wonder if a better example might be looking out and seeing someone struggling out in the waves of the ocean or in the middle of a lake. And you can, you can see them out there and you know they're struggling and you know they're not doing well and you can call out all kinds of encouragement and advice and words of comfort to them while they're out there struggling. You can tell them, okay, go this way or go that way or do this or do that. But what they really need is for you or someone to jump into the water and swim out and help them. But here's the thing about that. That's risky. It's a big risk to jump in the water to help someone like that. It's a lot safer to stand on the shore and hold out a board. And I think about, I think about what God has done for us in Christ. I remember hearing someone say a number of years ago, God never saves anyone from a distance. When God decides to, that it, to redeem the world, he doesn't do it from a distance. He becomes one of us. 
And he goes to a cross, pays the ultimate price. And it makes me, I can't help but think that this is what God is calling us to be. To be willing to lament with people in such a way that we get in to their pain with them. That we even are willing to take on their pain ourselves in order to be Christ's presence to them. Christ's love to them. Christ's grace to them. And it's costly and it's risky. But it is love. It is being the people of God. Henry Nouwen in his wonderful book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, talks about how most people, when they, when they read the parable of the prodigal son, we have a tendency to, to look, read that parable and think to ourselves, let's see, I'm, I'm sort of like the elder son or I'm sort of like the younger son. And, and, and there's value to that because it does point out in us uh, places where we, we need to grow and we need to learn and where God's conviction comes to us and it's perfectly normal, we do that. But he says, I don't really think that's the point of the parable. He says, the point of the parable is not to determine which son we're most like. The point of the parable is to hear the call to be like the Father. To be so transformed by the presence of Christ that we bear the image of Christ to others. And now one writes in that book, one of the most radical things Jesus ever said was be compassionate like your heavenly father is compassionate. I'm convinced that that kind of compassion begins in our honest openness with God. And to find that in our honesty with God, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if we struggle to embrace the pain that we're feeling because it's so deep and it's so hard. But in those moments, we open ourselves up to Him. And His Spirit has a place to minister to us and to comfort us and to heal us. And out of that comfort, out of that grace, out of that healing, we become image bearers, agents of his grace and his comfort and his healing to one another. The question that keeps coming back to us is this. Do we trust God enough? Do we believe in the hope that is ours in Christ enough to engage in lament? Father, it's hard to put into words sometimes 
our pain. It's hard to see the pain of others. Father, give us the ability to be honest with you and to be open with you and to trust you that we might find your comfort, your grace, your healing. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.